Let's go. 
ميمي عمرك والتكلي سلمى صغير راح تبكي من اول وهله راح تشكي سلمى عيونك شوفوا الخير شوفوا امك بتصلي شوفي وتسمعي كل خير ما يهمك خالك That was a group called Jadal. They come from Jordan, and we heard a song called Salma. That song was taken from their album Arabic Rocks, and you can find that album on Forward Music. Just one of the many, many innovative artists you're going to hear today on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm your DJ Ramsey, and I will be with you from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m. this evening and, well, every Thursday. Hopefully, you'll be able to join me today for a selection of music com- that comes to you from all over the Arabic-speaking world, as well as for my very special guest who I have in the studio today, and that would be Dr. Marwan Hanania, who will be speaking to us about his research, his background, as well as spotlighting a little bit the history of none other than Amman, Jordan, a fascinating city indeed with a very, uh, well, interesting history. We'll be speaking to Marwan about his research as well as his uh, other hobby horses later uh, in a few minutes. Uh, but, 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 ladies and gentlemen, first, let me go to this. Support for the KZSU Silent Disco provided by Sunset Promotions and Silent Frisco, who promote unique music experiences in public places. Silent Frisco specializes in performances where noise has previously made such performances impractical. www.sunsetpromotions.com or for feedback on Silent Frisco, Facebook page Sunset SF. The show is Arabology. I'm your DJ Ramsey. And uh, the last song we just heard was by the Jordanian group Jadal. And speaking of Jordan, I am c- delighted and uh, very, very excited to welcome my very special guest into the studio today here at KZSU. He, his name is Marwan Hanania, Dr. Marwan Hanania. He's a visiting scholar for the Abbasi program in Islamic studies here at Stanford. And he will start a tenure-track position as assistant professor at at Uh, 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 sorry, uh, Assistant Professor of History at Coastal Carolina University, and that's going to be in August of 2012. Dr. Hanania received his PhD right here at Stanford in January of 2011. His PhD, of course, is in history. Before that, he received his Master's in Middle Eastern Studies from Harvard University, and that was back in 2002. And his BA was in Government, and that was from Cornell 2000 in the year 2000. Marwan, ahlan wa sahlan. Welcome to the show. Ahlan, ahlan, Ramzi. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. It's uh, truly an honor to be here on KZSU. Thank you, Marwan. I'm just, I don't know if uh, you've noticed how excited my voice got when I was reading all these wonderful uh, uh, pieces of information Thank about you. you. Uh, quite you. an impressive resume here, uh, Marwan. You started out uh, at Cornell. Sure, yes. Uh, basically, I, I grew up in, in Amman, Jordan, and uh, I, I went to Cornell in 1996, uh, and we have a, a long family history there. My, my brother studied there and my uncle as well back in the 50s. Wow. 
And uh, and when did you come to the U.S.? Well, I started coming to the U.S. at a young age, but but I started my undergraduate uh, education in in 1996, and I was I was at Cornell for four years, and I studied with uh, a number of scholars in the government department at Cornell, and that was uh, a very good experience. Nice. And from Cornell, you went on to Harvard University. Yes, uh, over there I worked with uh, with the scholars associated with the Center for Middle. Eastern Studies, uh, particularly Roger Owen, who's a an Oxford-trained uh, uh, British historian of, of Egypt and the Levant. Wow. And so that would explain your master's in Middle Eastern Studies. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and I did have occasion to study Hebrew there as well. Wow. So you speak uh, both Arabic and Hebrew. Well, my, my Hebrew is not as good as my Arabic, but, but you know, going from Arabic to Hebrew is easier than the other way around. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Hebrew is uh, is a basically a, a simpler uh, Semitic language, but they share many many similarities. Of course, of course, of course. As you know, I teach Arabic, and I have many students who happen to speak Hebrew, and I think yes. they could sort of get certain concepts uh, yes, of the Arabic yes, language yes, that yes, yes. I have to explain. You know, yeah. uh, and of course, some of the words have uh, have the same roots, and so it's. Uh, it's uh, it's a plus to to know Arabic when you're going into Hebrew. Absolutely, and uh, Marwan from uh, Harvard. Of course, you came to Stanford, where you've uh, uh, well uh, in 2011 received your PhD in history. So uh, the first thing is mabruk and thank congratulations. You, thank you, thank uh, you. And I know that you've been a part of the history department here at Stanford for a while now. Everybody yes. is always uh, speaking your name with a smile, Marwan. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good experience. Experience. Uh, it's a tough and challenging program uh, that we have at Stanford. But I was fortunate. I had some some great uh, experiences, and I worked with some good professors uh, at Stanford. Yeah. That, that's really nice to hear. And uh, congratulations also on Mabruk. I guess in Hebrew it would be Mazel Tov for the <laughs> for the new position that, that you've uh, just uh, accepted, and that would be at Coastal Carolina University. Yes, and uh, this is a public uh, regional liberal arts school uh, located close to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Wow. It's a very beautiful location and uh, and the faculty there were incredibly warm and receptive. And, you know, I think the south of the United States is in need of, of alternate uh, voices, uh, particularly from from the Arab world and from the Middle East. So so it will be a, a unique opportunity for me. Absolutely. And I can't uh, agree with you more. Uh, we're sending you forth into the world, uh, Marwan, yes, to, yes. to uh, spread the, the message uh, of uh, peace and tolerance and also Absolutely. to emphasize the beauty that, and uh, that is often uh, sort of gone unnoticed in the media today, beauty of the Arabic culture, music, yeah. and the Arabic language itself. Absolutely. Marwan, uh, though uh, we're speaking about language, uh, your, your actual uh, dissertation focused on uh, something different. Yes, uh, my dissertation uh, is essentially an urban history of Amman. Nice. Meaning that instead of focusing on the uh, national history of, of a place like Jordan, I, I elected to look uh, more specifically at the socio-economic and political history of one of its major cities, which, of course, is, is the country's capital. And uh, initially, the idea came to me uh, when I was at a conference at UCLA, and we were talking about refugee communities. 
um, and I, I talked a little bit about how uh, Palestinian refugees have been integrated kind of seamless, seamlessly uh, into the uh, fabric of Amman's uh, urban community. Wow. And then my advisor, uh, Professor Joel Bainin, who was uh, at UCLA at the time uh, vi visiting for the conference, uh, heard uh, the lecture and we talked about it afterwards. And he said that urban studies is now a field in vogue and people want to know more about cities in the Middle East. So why don't you write an urban history of Amman? Wow. And uh, I thought it was a good way to go. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, uh, Marwan, I mean, I did have the opportunity of uh, watching you and listening to you do a little lecture, sort of maybe an informal little lecture uh, here at Stanford about Amman to our Arabic students. And yes. I was extremely, extremely interested in some of what you had to say, Many Thank of you. some of which was really surprising to me. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember this, Marwan, but I myself grew up in uh, yes, Amman of course, yeah. uh, after having left Lebanon at age 10 and uh, the whole idea of living in Amman and, and I don't know how many people in Amman actually know what a rich history that city has so I know this is sort of a lifelong project for you but to our listeners out there here at KZSU uh, all over the Bay Area who kind of don't know much about the city of Amman uh, in Jordan which is of course the capital of Jordan Can, is there a way to kind of uh, talk about the highlights in terms of the history itself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amman has a, an, an ancient past. In fact, uh, some of its uh, uh, landmarks, uh, such as the citadel in, uh, in downtown, in the downtown area of Amman, go back so far uh, that they are considered uh, some of the oldest continuously uh, inhabited areas in the world. Uh, so the citadel goes back to Neolithic times, and Amman um, had settled existence as far back as 8000 BC. Uh, so, of course, this is something that's uh, extremely significant and substantial. Now, in more modern times, uh, it's played a very important strategic role uh, in the region as a median point, mm -hmm. uh, linking uh, different uh, centers of commercial and political power. Um, it's also located uh, strategically uh, in between uh, Damascus in the north and Mecca and Medina in the Hejaz in the south. Mm -hmm. And so it's always served as a, a way station kind of for pilgrims who were uh, moving uh, from the north in, in southern Syria down to, to the Hejaz, which is in modern Saudi Arabia. Right. So it's played a very important role uh, for pilgrims, uh, visiting uh, travelers uh, from all over the world. And more recently, especially in the 20th century, um, as a, um, a place which received many refugees from around the, the region. Yeah, because, I mean, this is a very uh, interesting point here. Be, uh, I don't know how many people realize that there's a large number of refugees in, uh, in uh, Jordan. Absolutely. And, and specifically yeah. in Amman. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, according to the United Nations, um, Amman has the largest uh, proportion of refugees in the world. Wow. In terms of um, its status as an urban center and a city. Wow. Um, and uh, its ethno-national composition in terms of its population includes uh, East Bank Jordanians, meaning people who are indigenous to, to what was referred to as Transjordan or Eastern Jordan. It also has uh, a large number of Palestinians who came at different points in the country's history. 
as well as a population of Sarkazians, uh, Chechens, Armenians, Iraqis, Kurds, Turkoman, um, and uh, a, a large segment of the labor force uh, from Egypt. Wow, and all these groups uh, kind of uh, are still, uh, they make up a fa- uh, part of the fabric of uh, yeah, yeah. Jordanian society, or in Amman yeah, specifically? Yes, yes, and one of the significant uh, aspects of Amman's history is that these groups have interacted um, in a harmonious and peaceful way. Uh, mm. So when you compare Amman to places like Beirut um, or Alexandria or, or um, Baghdad, you'll notice that these uh, very different uh, groups uh, were able to coexist in a much more peaceful uh, way than some of the uh, neighboring cities uh, and urban centers. Uh, and um, when you talked about the uh, refugees, are we talking uh, really about Palestinian refugees mostly? And well, well, do you have any figures? About, sure, you know? sure. Well, not exclusively Palestinian refugees, because you have to remember that uh, since the late 19th century, um, uh, Transjordan or Eastern Jordan has been receiving refugees from all over the Middle East and beyond. Mm. Um, you know, for instance, in the late 19th century, the Ottoman Empire settled Sarkazian and Chechen refugees who were fleeing Russian persecution. In the 1920s, uh, many Syrians who were uh, escaping French persecution uh, in Syria uh, ended up in in Jordan. Um, And of course, we've had uh, many Iraqis uh, come uh, to the country uh, after the uh, U.S. invasion uh, of Iraq in 2003. So it's not exclusively Palestinian. Um, but but the migration of Palestinians has definitely been a very uh, formative and significant uh, feature uh, in the country's uh, recent history. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, of figures, uh, the population of Amman currently is around uh, 2.8 to 3 million people. Wow. And, uh, of course, a very large uh, percentage of that, um, easily 50%, uh, is Palestinian uh, in origin. Really? As, yeah. as, as high as 50%, yes. if not more? Yes, and, and it does have, as a city, a, a significant Christian uh, population um, extracted both from the Palestinian diaspora but also from, from East Bank uh, Jordanian towns. Uh, so migrants from places like uh, Madaba and Karak who, who came to Amman uh, to, to receive a, a better life. I see. And mentioning, you know, Madaba and Karak, those are two cities in Jordan for those listeners who yes, don't know. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and are they, now I may be mistaken here, Marwan, but are they primarily like Christian cities? Or uh, no, no by- not, not exclusively, but they do have... Uh, uh, substantial Christian populations in both both areas. Yeah, because uh, speaking of Madaba, I always think of the church there. Yes, uh, yes, and the mosaics, and it's a, it's a really beautiful, serene town uh, uh, that you can visit. And, and now it's uh, it's home to the new King's Academy, which is uh, uh, the Jordanian version of, of a place like Andover or Phillips Exeter, wow. and it's ex- uh, attracting students from all over the region. Wow, and King's Academy, because Jordan is still technically a monarchy. Yes, Jordan is a constitutional monarchy and uh, the current king of Jordan actually conceived this idea of having the king's academy in the country. Uh, wow. Be- so, so this was established by King Abdullah, yes, uh, the king, current king, yes, and king not Abdullah. by his late father. No, uh, this, this is a more recent uh, initiative. Yeah. Wow, the king's academy. Yeah. So uh, uh, how difficult was it in doing your research, Marwan? How difficult was it to find data that dated back to these you know, olden times? Yes, and, yes. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't 
uh, particularly easy um, because, uh, as you know, um, accessing archives and original materials in the Middle East is subject to uh, governmental and societal restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not uh, like, for instance, uh, the UK or the United States where you can um, go to an archive and ask for declassified material and just get what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to use a lot of pull. Uh, you have to do a lot of persuasion. And even when they do give you access to certain materials, it's on a restricted basis. Uh, you know, they tell you you can only copy a certain number of, of documents or, you know, you can see this file but not that file. Um, and also when you interview people, and I, and I interviewed a fair amount of, uh, of individuals who could recollect Amman's history in the late 40s and 1950s, they're reticent about certain facts or, you know, they, they wouldn't want you to quote them on certain things. So, you, so, so doing research on a place like Amman is definitely a challenge. I see. And so from, from your uh, answer, I can tell that you've spent, you know, many uh, laborious hours. Yes, sort of, absolutely. Uh, yeah. but, and, and so your research was conducted in Amman uh, itself and or, well, well, all, all over the Well, area? not exclusively. Um, a lot of it was in Amman. Uh, I went to the uh, National Archives, which is called the Department of the National Library. That's what they call it, but really it's our version of the uh, U.S. National Archives in Jordan. I also went to some government ministries. I went to the University of Jordan. Um, I also uh, visited uh, the National Archives in the U.K. Oh, wow. Of course, uh, you know, uh, Jordan was a, was a British colony for many years, um, and so a lot of the key documentation can be found uh, at the National Archives in the UK. And I benefited a lot from looking at things like Western travel narratives, um, Western uh, scholarly reports uh, written in the late 19th, early 20th century. And a lot of that stuff was available to me uh, at Stanford. And uh, some of it I could get... Uh, um, get off the internet. Uh, you know, now with uh, Google Books has a, a massive uh, digitization project that is really useful for for young scholars uh, mm -hmm. like myself. Uh, which which also includes a lot of sort of Arabic uh, manuscripts and old texts that may have been uh, translated inaccessible. Maybe uh, yes, there there is a lot of uh, a lot of original material on on Google Books and and elsewhere. And I was able to to get uh, through. Um, uh, family and personal sources, um, some original Arabic uh, uh, manuscripts, wow. as well as uh, some Ottoman material as well. Yeah. Uh, that sounds really fascinating. You know, Marwan, uh, what's happening to me in the studio is exactly what happens to many people who listen to you and at the risk of, uh, you know, uh, I know you're a very humble person, Marwan, but when you start speaking about the history of Amman, it's almost like you take us back in time and take us along this journey sure, sure. Uh, but, uh, that leads us to Amman today. And I want to touch a little bit more on the subject of Amman today or in recent times as well in the second part of our interview where I would like to ask you if and uh, and when there was an Arab Spring sort yes, of in, in, yes, in Amman. Yes. We'll keep our listeners in suspense about that. But I didn't want to give uh, everybody a chance here to listen to a little bit of uh, music that comes from Jordan. Sure, sure. And I thought we'd take a little break here and uh, sort of tell you who's the first uh, singer to uh, to come to mind when you think of uh, Jordanian music. 
would it be uh, Diana Carazon? By yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> Diana Carazon came to mind uh, because she won the the superstar uh, contest in 2003, which is the Arab version of the British uh, show, the talent show Pop Idol. Oh, so that's kind of like a take on American Idol, I exactly, guess. Exactly, exactly. And she uh, has this style that's influenced by the Egyptian diva Um Kalthum. Wow. And and the Syrian George Wasouf, so she has kind of that style going a little bit. Although I think she's been trying to move uh, more toward a, a pop uh, pop style. Pop you know? style, yes. Yeah. She she is getting a little bit more mainstream now. Right. I've been watching her videos through the years, and yes. I think another thing that needs to be mentioned, though it may sound a little bit superficial, is that she lost an incredible amount of weight. She did, yeah, yeah, she did, she did. I remember uh, the Diana Carazon that I listened to was, you know, sort of heavy set, beautiful voice, beautiful personnel, beautiful yeah. person uh, yeah. inside and out. Yeah, unfortunately, but, uh, you know. But I think she's sort of uh, had this huge transformation. I couldn't recognize her yeah. lately on the yeah, on the. Yeah. Uh, but her voice is still there, thank God. And, yeah, uh, and you know, know, of course, people in the Middle East can be tough on things like that. So, so yes, and, uh, I, I, yeah. and and I think you and I could speak about that volu- in volumes because sure. certainly this, especially with the video clip industry over there and this whole emphasis on perfection, uh, yeah. we could have a show just on that, sure. uh, Marwan Hani. Yeah. Yeah. So, Marwan, why don't we give our listeners sure. a chance to yeah. listen to uh, Diana Carazon? The song I chose is called "Insani Mabin Sak." Have you heard of uh, that one, Marwan? Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, would you like to translate it for our listeners out there? In Sanima bin Sak, that uh, I I won't forget you. My 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 humanity won't forget you. I see. I love yeah. that. So yeah. uh, so here we go. Here's Diana Karazon. We'll be back with Marwan D. Hadaniya to speak to him for the second part of my interview here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford 94.1 FM. Thank you for joining me today. It is coming up to 4:30, and here's Diana. I'm 
That was uh, Diana Carazon, uh, and uh, Jordanian singer who actually uh, rose to fame after winning the uh, the Arabic TV show Superstar. Now, the show Superstar is sort of the Arabic version of American Idol. And in season one, back in 2003, uh, she won uh, the uh, coveted uh, number one prize. And since then, Diana Carazon has been going on strong. And I played that song uh, uh, in honor of Jordan and in honor honor of my special guest in the studio, none other than Marwan Hananiya, who's been with me. Uh, Marwan, uh, how do you like it here at KZSU? Uh, oh, now it's that fantastic. You've had it? Uh, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and uh, d- did you expect uh, us to have such a large uh, collection of Arabic uh, songs? No, no actually, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, there's, there is a, quite a collection here. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, with the song we just heard, Marwan, is called Insani Mabin Sak. And that's kind of a difficult uh, title to, uh, to, to, to translate because there may be a play on words in yeah. terms of like, you know, uh, we, I, I've translated it in different ways uh, yeah, uh, it, in it the could, past. It could be she's saying, uh, you can forget me, but I won't forget you. That's one way of, of translating it. And the other way could be saying that, um, you know, my myself, my being won't forget you. I think those are two ways you can you can translate. Absolutely, that. and yeah. maybe for our listeners, the word insan in Arabic is like a, a human being or sure. the self, and so insani could be like my very being, right. and at the same time, it could also be the imperative for forget sure. me for insani, sure. but yeah. mabin sak would translate into I don't forget you. Yeah. Either way, it's a beautiful tune. Thank you for uh, sort of bringing up the Karazon here in the studio today. Right. Uh, Marwan, but uh, you really came in here to speak a little bit about uh, the Jordan and this history of Amman, sure. and uh, and speaking of that, and and, and just uh, you know getting a glimpse of the rich history that you mentioned and uh, and uh, researched for uh, many years, um, it leads me to a question that I think is on everybody's mind because every time we mention the region, everybody's talking about the Arab Spring, and uh, from a very naive perspective, I don't remember hearing too much about the Arab Spring in Amman, Jordan. So uh, do you have any comment on that? Sure. Um, I think, you know, certainly the Arab Spring has had uh, reverberations uh, in Amman and in other parts of of Jordan, except that uh, some of the the factors uh, and features of the Arab Spring in the kingdom have been uh, significantly different uh, from places like Egypt, uh, Tunisia, Libya, uh, and Syria uh, in in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, So so there are a series of positive political signs we can point to. There has been uh, a process of institutional and governmental reform that has been going on for a while now and that in fact preceded uh, the Arab Spring. Wow. So I think in this sense, the uh, Jordanian government uh, had foreshadowed that if they don't start a reform process, uh, that sooner or later uh, events will catch up with them. And so in, in this way, um, they, they acted uh, faster than some of their uh, counterparts in other, other countries in the region. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, you know, our lower house of parliament, uh, the Majlis al-Nawab, or House of Representatives, uh, has become a more representative over time. Uh, new laws have been put in place uh, to try to make the, uh, the council uh, more accountable uh, and more reflective of the wishes of the population. So, um, do you think? I mean, I, I know that this question may sound too uh, to, uh, that I'm simplifying, oversimplifying. But are you kind of saying that the uh, the efforts on part of the Jordanian monarchy, the Jordanian reigning system, before the, the, the idea of the Arab Spring came into being, was one of the the foresight they had? Was one of the reasons that we didn't see the sort of chanting in the streets and the massive, uh, you know, revolutions and cries against the system? I think. I think that's certainly a factor, although, you know, one wouldn't want to uh, understate what's going on in the country. We have had regular uh, protests, even riots and demonstrations Mm. uh, since uh, the events in Tunisia. and and so and those have been pretty regular, except that the difference is that there the numbers of protesters and demonstrators hasn't been that significant, mm-hmm. and in addition uh, the the government's response, especially from the security services, has not been as severe. Now this is not to say that they haven't overstepped their bounds. They have in certain cases, and there have been cases of injuries, and even deaths. But uh, those have been very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so the government's response has been much more, um, I would say they have been more clever about this uh, because they've avoided um, alienating people by by clamping down too harshly on the demonstrators and protesters. Right. And much of my information you know, comes from speaking to my friends in Jordan sure. and, and family. Yeah. And there seems to be sort of a general sense that people are okay with the way things are. They don't seem to have the urgency, I think, that I hear from some of my Tunisian friends or that I heard from my Tunisian and Egyptian friends but certainly this is uh, sort of oversimplifying a very complex matter because one cannot say that uh, an entire you know country or population is going to lean a certain way Marwan uh, when you were talking about you know the uh, Majlis and Nuwab and uh, and all that uh, can you give us an idea like what is the current reigning system I mean are people voting in elections over there um, or is it a pure monarchy Well, historically, Jordan has been, uh, since independence in 1946, a constitutional monarchy. Uh, we've, we had our, um, a, a liberalized constitution passed in 1952 by King Talal, who is uh, King Abdullah's uh, grandfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, the constitution is being uh, reformed now as, as we speak. Uh, there have been uh, attempts to kind of make it more democratic and to uh, distribute some of the powers that are concentrated in the hands of the king uh, to the uh, parliament and, and to other uh, branches of government. Um, Essentially, we have a uh, bicameral uh, legislature. Now, the upper house of parliament, the Senate, uh, is appointed by the king. The lower house of parliament uh, is elected uh, uh, is elected by the by the people. By the people. Yes. Uh, uh, however, uh, there there has been a lot of discontent about the uh, the uh, concentration of seats uh, in uh, pro government uh, constituency areas, uh, and and allegations that the government uh, doctors the process by which uh, people vote. So so there have been some uh, grievances about the voting system in Jordan. 
Um, but definitely, I think if you if you compare it to to some of the other uh, countries in the region uh, prior to the Arab Spring, I think it's a, a it's a much more representative system. So Jordanians have been going to the to the polls, so to say, and voting. Uh, yes, uh, but it varies from place to place. Uh, so 75% of registered voters among Bedouin, among the nomadic kind of uh, very pro-government uh, segment of the population uh, voted, whereas less than 40% voted in urban areas. Oh, really? uh, this was in the last uh, uh, election. Um, so, so that kind of skewed the results uh, to produce a more uh, pro-regime, pro-monarchy uh, parliament. Mm-hmm. Because Bedouins traditionally tend to uh, support the, uh, the, the monarchy, monarchy although this is this is in fact changing, um, and and you do see a lot of um, dissent uh, among uh, both uh, nomadic and semi-nomadic uh, communities in Jordan, and among um, um, uh, Jordanians in 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 southern uh, towns and cities. Wow. Uh, so, for instance, much of the uh, of the protests uh, have occurred in places. Places like Tafil and Ma'an, um, and and southern locales in, in the country. In the country, absolutely. So uh, at least we are seeing sort of this uh, going to the polls and voting. Are we seeing any women in government in uh, Jordan? Well, we 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 do have some women in in government in Jordan, but the numbers are not as good as they should be. Uh, there has been some improvement in this respect, but but it's it's been it's been kind of slow. I mean, obviously, you have to remember that Jordan is a conservative country for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we do have uh, female political participation, uh, but it tends to be more um, in, in the background. Um, for instance, uh, in the Muslim Brotherhood, there are a lot of uh, women activists involved, uh, not so much as candidates, but, but more so as organizers, um, um, community organizers, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is not unheard of to have women in government. No, and, of course and not. And we've, we've, women and we've, had, women. we've had members of parliament. We've had uh, uh, anti-governmental activists. Uh, we've had ministers, cabinet ministers, and of course, our queen is uh, Queen Rania is very visible and uh, and does play play a role in the country as well. Absolutely, and I think plays a major role in also uh, highlighting women's issues and yes. speaking to them in a, in a public forum. Sure, sure. Queen Rania, of course, is the reigning queen of Jordan, and she's King Abdullah's uh, wife, Her Majesty wife, Queen yeah. Rania. Marwan, uh, uh, it is such an amazing uh, sort of of uh, moment to spend with you here uh, recounting uh, Amman the way I remember it and the way it is now, the way it has changed through history and the way it continues to change. And that leads me to a little bit of a larger question, uh, because I think that by when you speak and you give us these facts and you look at the history, you're sort of dispelling certain stereotypes without even realizing it. And at the same time, you're, you're enlightening us with a very different kind of way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a lecturer in Arabic here at Stanford and someone who's always sort of attempted to to show uh, a different side to our culture, one that counteracts the sort of systematic uh, uh, demonization of, you know, Islam sometimes or or, um, Arabic culture in some of the media today, I wanted to ask you to, uh, you know, if you had any pointers or any, uh, any, um, I don't know, suggestions about how to teach about the Middle East uh, 
in a larger context you know how would you how how do we do that in the US or in Europe yeah well one of the things you have to understand is that people when they approach the Middle East whether they're students or members of the public they come in with certain preconceived notions and ideas and so one of your tasks as a scholar or as an educator is to is to try to challenge those ideas and to try to provide uh, alternative sources that uh, people can look at uh, you know things other than the Washington Post or CNN uh, or Fox News certainly uh, or, or the New York Times mm-hmm. I encourage my students to look for sources uh, from the region There's, uh, there are plenty of, of uh, magazines and newspapers that are in English that are accessible that people can look at uh, to get uh, viewpoints from the region directly uh, rather than uh, through secondary uh, sources uh, which, which sometimes uh, distort uh, the reality on the ground and, and the picture on the ground. Yeah. So what would be sort of, uh, if you had to sum it up, the main challenge of teaching about the Middle East uh, in terms of modern history or uh, in, in, uh, in the, well, the U.S. Academy today? Well, there is this idea that the history of the Middle East is, a, is a purely an extension of uh, European uh, and American colonialism and power. Uh, and and I, I usually try to show that this is not the case, that there are other things going on, that the people of the region do have agency, that they do have uh, a role in, 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 in creating their own history and in shaping their own destiny. And so that is definitely something that I try to instill in my students uh, and among the public when I get the opportunity to. Wow, absolutely amazing. Marwan Hanania, it is such a joy and an honor to, Thank have, you so uh, much. to have you Thanks. in the studio today. To yeah. Like I said, the only danger with you, Marwan, is time passes so quickly that yeah. one forgets uh, that we have a, a show going on here. But I wanted to thank you so much for coming in thank and you. enlightening us. Thanks. I'm going to leave everybody uh, with a little song here by Emel Mathluthi. Now, she's from Tunis, Marwan, so she doesn't really relate to Jordan. But her song is called Kilmiti Hurra. Uh-huh. And uh, for those listeners who don't speak uh, Arabic, how would you translate that title? Well, it means my my voice is unencumbered and free. I love that translation. Amal Mathluthi has a new album called Kilmiti Hurra. She's from Tunis, and she'll be taking us into the, uh, well, the, towards the second part of the Arabology show here on KZSU Stanford 94.1 FM. I'm glad you were able to join me. Stay tuned for Amal Mathluthi. And again, many, many thanks. Thank Shukran you. to Marwan Hanania and Mabruk Marwan on the new position. Thank you so much. Please stay in touch with us, and we will be right back uh, right after this.
تحلف باليمين أعلش يا غازل هجرتني الله ياخون الخائنين أعلش يا غازل هجرتني الله حسيب الظالمين نصيب حتى نقبل وجناتك أكذا جزاء 
خلب الكئيب اللي حصل في عشقاتك علش الحبيب ينسى الحبيب ما صعب على فرقاتك انظر لي باش بدل تاني قضيت الشمال عوض اليمين أعلش يا غازل اهجر تاني الله يخول الخائنين أعلش يا غازل اهجر تاني الله حسيب Well, how was that uh, for a uh, different kind of number? That was actually Abdel Hadi Halo, and it was a song called Man Yati Kalbu Lil Milah. And uh, that's taken from the Abdel Hadi Halo and El Gusto Orchestra of Algiers. Uh, you might have heard uh, about them or from them on my show recently uh, they, because the, they also had the uh, previous track, and that was from the El Gusto Orchestra. of Algiers, we heard the Araya, a song that uh, I think was made popular, very popular of late, uh, well, of late meaning uh, in contemporary times by uh, none other than Rashid Taha. Well, that was uh, their version of Yaraya uh, Wainem Safir, which translates as uh, Where are you going to, O traveler or O immigrant? Uh, the choices of translations abide. So uh, the show is Arabology I'm your DJ Ramsey, and my very special thanks once again to uh, Marwan Hanania, Dr. Marwan Hanania, who is with me in the studio today. Uh, Dr. Hanania, visiting scholar at the Abbasi program in Islamic studies here at Stanford, uh, was my guest where he spoke about, uh, well, many issues, but sort of centered on Jordan and Amman in particular, the capital of Jordan. Hope uh, that the kind of research he brought was as eye-opening to you as it was to me here on the Arabology Show, which comes to you this Thursday and every Thursday right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Did you know that secondhand smoke is as dangerous to a child's health as inhaling car exhaust? The toxic levels in a car when someone is smoking can reach up to 10 times the level considered safe. If you or someone you know would like to quit smoking, call the California Smokers Helpline at 1-800-NO-BUTS or visit First 5 California at www.first5california.com. This show is Arabology, and we're in, uh, well, we're coming up to the second part of my show. That means we're coming up to 5 p.m. I will be with you until 6 p.m. today when it will be time, of course, for the Songsmith Show with your DJ MC Dizzy Jackson, the Songsmith Show, which comes to you from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. Uh, tonight. Uh, this evening is uh, really an amazing show uh, that presents creators and interpreters of finely crafted music. 
music. Tune in for an eclectic mix of most American genres and genre blends. And that's with MC Dizzy Jackson that's following my show. And if you were to stick around, even for after that, we have the Spotlight on Stanford show that comes to you from 9 p.m. until 10 p.m. And that's, of course, uh, by the KZSU News Department, which hosts a wide variety of visiting or on-campus students, celebrities, renowned professors, and professionals from around the world. So uh, tune in for that from 9 p.m. until 10 p.m. here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Well, my show, Arabology, is only halfway through, and already I feel like I am so excited to take you upon my journey uh, along the, uh, well, the imaginary journey in your mind throughout the Arabic-speaking world. I don't know how many of you have been there and how many of you think of the region as one sort of region, when in fact it's very, very, very uh, different uh, in terms of which Arabic country or Arabic-speaking country we're talking about. Uh, today, uh, we kind of focused a little bit on Amman, Jordan, and uh, hopefully uh, dispelled some of the uh, stereotypes and myths about the country, as well as maybe enlighten ourselves about some of the issues that uh, are being grappled with in that country. Uh, the, uh, the, the journey, of course, took us to Algeria and to Lebanon in the show, and of course to Tunisia. So hopefully you've been enjoying this kind of blend, and um, we have plenty more of that uh, coming your way. Uh, but as we uh, enter the second part of the uh, Arabology show, well, let's see, how am I going to introduce the next uh, section? It's very, very mellow. It's, well, mellow, but not in the sense you think. It's going to be sort of a, uh, well, they're going to be two naughty songs. I'm just going to say it. They are in Arabic. They're not profane, but they are naughty. Because they're talking about, uh, I don't know, such behaviors associated with the Middle East as, uh, I mean, I'm getting into trouble here, as uh, smoking different kinds of stuff. And uh, I guess that's what the songs are going to talk about in a very humorous way. And, uh, of course, that one of those songs you've heard on the show before, it's been playing all over the uh, uh, airwaves in the Arabic-speaking world. It's called Hashishat Albi. And, of course, it's a play on words. I think the word Hashishat Albi... Uh, uh, by trigger a, um, a sort of a, a visual for English speakers. Um, that's not necessarily the title of the song. It just means uh, the grass of my heart. And it's uh, supposed to be a terms of endearment. That song will be is taken from the movie soundtrack to the uh, Nadine Lebeki film called Where Do We Go Now in Arabic, Uhalla uh, Lawain, this amazing movie that uh, sort of was released last year and played all over the uh, cinemas worldwide and won all sorts of prizes. Anyway, so we we're going to go with Khaled Muzannar and Nadine Labaki and the cast from the uh, uh, Where Do We Go Now uh, movie uh, and listen to Hashishat Albi and that is going to take us to a very, very weird song with emphasis on weirdness and strangeness and, uh, and, and a guy who's crying out to the world about having uh, smoked something and doesn't know what to do with it and you could just hear him saying he's seeing things in reverse and I won't try to explain it it's just that if you hear this kind of uh, thing going on in the song it is up to you to interpret what's going on ladies and gentlemen let's begin uh, with Hashishat Albi here on the Arabology show coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM (laughs) 
مش معايا دي آخرة الحكاية ما تعملوا غاش دي آخرة الحكاية ما تعملوا عاش معايا سيبونا عيش حياتي فايل أي حكاية سيبونا عيش حياتي فايل أي حكاية مش هشرب مش هشرب مش هشرب بني تاني ولا أعرف شكله تاني Boy, I wonder what was wrong with the singer of that song. His name is Mahmoud El Husseini, and the the title of the song was called Sigara Bunni, which translates into a brown cigarette. Well, I think the music of that, uh, the, the dizzying music of that song, has a lot to say about the state of mind the singer must have been in. And before that, we heard a very cute song from the soundtrack to the Lebanese movie Where Do We Go Now in Arabic. It was called Hashishit. Elbi and that song is uh, from the movie soundtrack and it exists on the original movie soundtrack as well. Those uh, two songs uh, started the uh, second part of the Arabology show coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. The show is Arabology. I am your DJ Ramsey and I'll be with you until 6 p.m. Of course, everybody knows to stay tuned at 6 p.m. for the uh, Songsmith show with uh, MC Dizzy Jackson. I'll be from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. this uh, evening. Are you looking for an affordable place to live? Does too much of your income go toward housing expenses? You can do something about it. Why not home share with someone? If you're trying to reduce your housing costs, shared housing may be the answer. HIP Housing can help San Mateo residents find a compatible housemate and an affordable place to live. Contact HIP Housing at 650 348 6660 or visit www.hiphousing.org. The show is Arabology, and I'm your uh, DJ Ramsey. I will be taking you on this continuous trip throughout the Arabic-speaking world here and uh, playing a sample and a selection of songs from uh, each uh, region that uh, we can reach out to today. Uh, so the song you heard, of course, the last one was from Egypt, and uh, the singer was uh, uh, Mahmoud Al-Husseini. Before that, of course, from Lebanon, we had Khalid Muzannar and Nadine Lebeke and the cast of we also heard earlier in the show from Amal Mathluthi, the song Kilmiti Hurra, and uh, we heard from such great groups as Masrua Layla from Lebanon, Diana Karazon from Jordan, and we have a lot more to go. So I hope you'll uh, stay with me until uh, 6 p.m. here on the Arabology Show. I'm delighted you were able to join me, and I'm going to uh, take you on a very entrancing trip in the next uh, few minutes. And that's by way of Elizabeth Ayub. Not sure how many people know about Elizabeth Ayub, but she's a amazing singer who kind of takes the music from, uh, well, South America and blends it with Arabic uh, lyrics and, uh, and of course, uh, does it in such a beautiful way. Her last name, Ayub, is a, well, very popular last name. Uh, could be Lebanese. But the song itself is called Ya Oud, and it's a 
And the oud is the instrument that uh, I think many people associate with Middle Eastern music. It's got kind of like a belly that goes into one's belly. <laughs> so I'm not sure how to explain it, but I think once you hear the sound, you know exactly what I'm saying. A distinctly Middle Eastern instrument, the oud is the subject of Elizabeth Ayoub's song. So the song is called Yaoud. And that song goes out to, uh, well, Stephanie and Simone, who uh, told me they really love uh, the oud. And, uh, and and not to forget that the uh, Mashrua Layla song that I started the show with uh, went out to Lisa M. and Kulwa, also two very huge Mashrua Layla fans, apparently. My apologies for not mentioning that earlier in the show. But having said all this, I think we need to relax and uh, forget about all our troubles for the next few minutes because uh, the sound of Elizabeth Ayub's vocals when accompanied by the Oud uh, demand immediate attention. So everybody stop what you're doing, take your shoes off, kick back and listen to this.
The unmistakable uh, voice of uh, Nancy Azram, who comes to you from uh, Lebanon and uh, from a live recording called uh, Sahar al-Tarab, we heard a song called uh, Salim Aleha Ya Hawa. Before that, it was also the equally unmistakable sound of uh, Amr Diab, who comes from Egypt. And uh, Amr Diab sang a song called Arif Habibi. That song was taken from the album Benedict Ta'ala. Before that, it was the Zubran trio and a song called Nawar. That song was taken from their new album. The album's name is Asfar and if you know Arabic or some Arabic, you know that Asfar has to do with travels. The trio Zubran is an Oud uh, trio consisting of brothers Samir, Wissam and Adnan Zubran. They are Palestinian citizens of Israel from Nazareth. They now reside in Paris and Asfar, this album is their fifth album. The first one was called Randana, and it was really a duet with uh, Samir, the oldest, and Wissam, the youngest. Uh, the Oud was uh, originally used to accompany vocalists, and uh, as, as many people know, and since the late 19th century, in instrumental solos. The trio that uh, sort of emphasized the uh, use of the Oud is a new form indeed. These are complex compositions of great variety, original and technical virtuosity. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the uh, the uh, Zubran trio. And from the album Asfar, we heard the song Nawar. And we began the set with the uh, very entrancing song by none other than Elizabeth Ayub. The song we heard was called Ya'ud. And it was taken from her album Oceanos e, e Lunas. Forgive my Spanish here, but that's a really nice album. I think it means Oceans and Moons. And uh, Elizabeth uh, Ayub, well, if you haven't heard of her, she is uh, one of those uh, singers who uh, blends East and West in uh, perfect harmony. She, uh, well, let's, uh, let me see what I can tell you about her. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Ayub uh, was actually uh, writes as a songwriter 
writer in Spanish, uh, Arabic, and English, and she blends traditional sounds with contemporary sounds. Born in Venezuela to uh, Lebanese immigrants, uh, she grew up uh, sort of with a beautiful voice and uh, and always was accompanied by nice uh, backup musicians. So there you go. If you like this kind of blend, then uh, Elizabeth Ayub is uh, your gal. Uh, so hopefully you've enjoyed this kind of this set, which uh, aimed at emphasizing uh, the uh, the instrument, the oud, uh, spelled in English as O-U-D. And uh, if you like that, that certainly, uh, well, you can even take oud lessons, I believe, in the Bay Area somewhere. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the uh, last half hour of my show, I am going to attempt to give uh, tickets to a uh, concert by Aswat. There will be uh, details and uh, and uh, concert tickets uh, giveaways. Uh, uh, details about that uh, in the minutes uh, to come or in the half hour to come. So please stay tuned because I will be giving you a phone number as well as uh, information about uh, when to call here at KZSU to obtain to get the chance at uh, winning uh, two tickets to the Aswat concert at uh, Fairfax uh, Redwoods. Uh, Aswat, if you haven't heard of them, well, they've been played on uh, KZSU quite a bit, and they've actually recorded live sessions here at KZSU as well. And uh, this time, let Aswat take you on an enchanted musical trip down deep into Marin's Redwood Forest, a mere half-hour drive from San Francisco, experience the opulence of Arabic music in a quaint forest cottage at the Center for Peace and Compassion. And so if you're interested in uh, this concert... uh, uh, it's going to be on Sunday, April 29th from 3 p.m. until 5 p.m. It'll be at the Center for Peace and Compassion at 781 Bolinas Road in Fairfax, California, 943, uh, let's see, 94939. And uh, I will be giving away uh, two tickets to this concert to uh, the uh, third lucky caller here at KZSU uh, and uh, that would be at the no- at the following number if you can dial 650-723-9010 I would be delighted to give uh, two tickets to the Aswad concert at Fairfax in uh, Redwoods uh, coming to you uh, for courtesy of uh, uh, well, Aswat and via uh, the magic of the phone. So hurry up and uh, call be the third caller to call during the next uh, music. Uh, and I think what we'll do is we'll actually uh, listen to Aswat singing. And uh, I think if uh, that doesn't do it, then I don't know what will. They're an amazing, amazing vocal ensemble. And here they are singing a very, very popular tune by none other than uh, Feirouz. Well, here is their version of Tayrel uh,
That was uh, the amazing music ensemble Aswat and uh, their version of Taïda Lourouad, and that of course was taken from one of their concerts. So, if you're interested again in winning uh, two free tickets to the uh, Aswat concert at Fairfax Redwoods, well, all you have to do is call seven two three nine zero one zero. He said that's us here at KZSU, and uh, we will uh, be glad to give the uh, t- two tickets to the amazing Aswat concert at Fairfax Redwoods. The date, Sunday, April 29th. The time, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And uh, the venue is at the Center for Peace and Compassion in Fairfax, California. So two tickets to this uh, unforgettable concert uh, right here if you call uh, 723-9010. Now, I did mention Fairuz a second ago, and uh, if during the, the, the next Fairuz song you feel like calling then please by all means do but uh, even if you don't make sure you enjoy the next song because I am about to play Feyruz not a version of Feyruz but uh, the ultimate Lebanese diva herself here she is and from her album Efi Amal we're going to hear a very very nice track it's called Issa Zghiri Ktir translated a very very tiny story بحكي لك قصة بشعة كتير وحلوة كتير بس هيك بتصير عن حالي هيدي قصة معقولة كل يوم تصير وبتصير كتير واسمعها أرجوك كرمالي يمكن أنا مش هي بنت اللي مفكر فيي بس شي إني رح فل رح تتندم علي يا سلام على بكرة يا سلام يا سلام من هلأ يا سلام يا سلام على بكرة Love. 
بدي عم بحكي لك قصة بشعة كتير وحلوة كتير بس هيك بتصير عن حال هيدي قصة معقولة كل يوم تصير وبتصير كتير واسمعها أرجوك كرمال يمكن أنا مش هي البنت اللي مفكر فيي بس شي إني راح فل راح تتندم علي يا سلام على بكرة يا سلام يا سلام من هلا يا سلام يا سلام على بكرة
reviens jamais sur ses pas Il est futile, il est changeant Et n'est ton allié qu'un instant Mon que j'aime et que j'adore Viens prendre l'amour à bras le corps Il y a Habib, il y a Carnemain Et le plus fort, il peut tout prendre Avant de donner, il y a Habib Well, that was uh, Shab Mami. I'm sure you've heard of him, a song called Devien Habibi. For those of you who don't know Shab Mami, he's known as the Prince of Rye and a pioneer in its recent integration with funk, flamenco, and reggae sounds. Mami has uh, become a true world superstar since his high-profile collaboration with Sting that uh, even made it to the Super Bowl halftime show uh, many years ago. Uh, Mami continues to stretch the boundaries of Fry with this uh, kind of music uh, that starts out as Arabic French party music but turns into really adventurous blend. Hopefully you've enjoyed that. And before that, well, that oud sound that uh, began uh, very uh, uh, peacefully and then kind of broke into a nice oud tune with a rhythm and a beat. Well, that was by none other than Rahim al Hajj. And I must say that if Manal is listening out there, she probably was in heaven when she heard that song and uh, we started off the set of course with the number one Lebanese diva she is from Lebanon but she's the number one diva of the Arabic speaking world her name is simply Feirouz and uh, she, though she's getting up in age uh, her new album uh, still uh, did very well uh, and uh, we heard a song called Ussa Zghirektir and the album's name was A Fi Amal right here on the Arabology show coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM the Native American Rights Fund, NARF, is a nonprofit organization that provides legal representation and technical assistance to Indian tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide. This con- constituency often lacks access to the justice system. NARF focuses on applying existing laws and treaties to guarantee that national and state governments live up to their legal obligations. To find out more, visit NARF on the web at w- www.narf.org That's www.narf.org Well, we've got about five minutes to go here on the uh, Arabology show and uh, this was episode nine of the show. Thank you for tuning in today and for the many weeks to come. I would like to remind everybody to stay tuned for after my show for the Songsmith show with MC Dizzy Jackson. I'll be from 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. And I'm about to leave you today with a very, very special song by Rashid Taha. And it is from the uh, Rock El Kazan.
Casbah album. However, it's not the title track. I've been hearing that I've played that one way too many times on the show. So instead, I think I'm going to play a song called Habena. Habena means we loved, and that's a really great way to end the show and to uh, to actually uh, say uh, au revoir, goodbye, and, uh, and uh, well, thank you for listening for everybody. And a quick, quick shout-out by Ahmad Q, who's been helping me throughout uh, the shows here. And uh, Ahmad, uh, thank you so much for everything you've welcome, done. Welcome, welcome. Thank you <laughs> for hosting me. I had uh, the pleasure to be with you since the first episode of Arabology. It has been wonderful. And I want to say thank you for all our guests since the first episode. Uh, like uh, uh, DJ Raji Saab and uh, Ibtisam Abbasi in uh, New York. Uh, Sean Dobson and Dr. Uh, Lina Khatib, uh, Omar and uh, Lina uh, from the Arabic uh, classes at Stanford. Of course, and Melina <laughs> Nakuzi, and of course your mom, Vera Salty. And did we mention Alex Farhat? Alex Farhat and Christina Little Joan, and as well as Ahmed uh, Bin Shamsi and. Our friend Ayman Asabi. Uh, well, our friend and the amazing Dapke dancer trainer Ayman Asabi. Uh, and of course, uh, Joseph Delgado. Uh, of course, and uh, yeah. not to uh, forget today's very special guest, Dr. Marwan Hanania. Of course. Just some of the names and people we've brought to you here on the Arabology Show over the past nine weeks. Thank you for tuning in. Ahmad, uh, you're going to leave us with, uh, we're, are we going to leave people with uh, Rashid Taha? Rashid Taha. The name of the song? Habena. Habena. We have loved indeed.